You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. So good morning. Again, so many people have already said good morning to you. Now it's my turn. Good morning. Today's May 22nd, 2022. The title of today's message is Living in the Will of God. It's one of those things that so many Christians struggle with. Everybody wants to know the will of God, and so many people confidently know how to walk in it and know how to to find it because we've been fed a bill of goods that it's this elusive thing out there when actually it's the opposite. God has a vested interest that we know his will. That makes sense, right? God never dangles a carrot. It's over here. Oh, nope, it's over here. God is more willing to reveal his will to us than we are to seek him for it. Thank you. So today's title is Living in the Will of God, or we may call it, because of the passage that we've been in in Acts, Having the Mind of the Spirit, or we might have entitled it Following the Path of the Spirit. Both of those titles would have been more applicable to the the text, but I chose Living in the Will of God because I have a purpose in mind. The first section of the message is going to be some teaching on this thing we call the will of God. And the second section of the message is going to be some practical application, some things we can actually do to ensure that we're in the will of God. So you ready to learn some things? Come on, I need to see some excitement out there. You know, I'll say it again. I like it. I love it. When I got out of the hospital in November, there were a few assignments that God had given me. He spared my life. He released me from the hospital, and he gave me a couple of assignments, a few assignments. One of them was to excite the church for what God is doing in these days. So many believers I meet are downtrodden and forlorn and hopeless, some even in despair, some just now looking for the rapture, not even trying to occupy anymore. We need to be excited about what God is doing. In these days, in your life, the plans that he has for these days, he has incorporated your life into those plans. Yeah. So it's, it's even much more than you. If you don't accomplish your part, other parts will suffer. It's not just about you. You knew that when you came to know the Lord, right? God builds his plans, designs his plans sort of like on top of, that's not a good expression, but incorporating all of our lives into the plan. Fully trusting. You know, there's a verse that says, before a man will build a tower, he'll first count the cost, make sure he can complete it, then he'll build it. And we always think that applies to us. We shouldn't start a project unless we can finish it. You know, God was referring to himself. Before he ever started this project of building his church, against which the gates of hell cannot prevail, he counted the cost. And he thought it through before he started the endeavor. 
Part of the cost was, will my people submit to me and do their part? If they do, I can accomplish my purposes. Hey, it's that important. Let's begin with a brief review. Paul and Silas, this is, this is, we're in Acts, this is still Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. So the Holy Spirit had prevented them. And we said, wait, wait, that has to be a typo. We were kind of shocked. You know, shouldn't that say Satan prevented them? It would make a lot more sense. Nope, it was not a typo. It is not a typo. The next verse. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Same deal. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, did not allow them to go into that province. Next slide. The emphasis here in this entire section the emphasis here is entirely on divine, divine guidance by the Holy Spirit. You listening? Hearing what I'm saying? Something so desperately lacking, so desperately needed, and so desperately lacking in the church today, especially in Western culture and in our nation. Churches on every street corner, mega churches, thousands and thousands of people, and yet our culture and our nation is going to hell before our very eyes. That doesn't make sense. Everybody's a believer. Everybody you ask is a believer. Well, then where's all the evil coming from? The emphasis in this section is entirely on divine guidance by the Holy Spirit. And here's the point God wants us to get today. The Holy Spirit is to be the one directing a believer's path through life. Man, if I could just be honest, that's not usually the case. That's not been my experience as I've talked with people, as I watch believers, Christians, professing Christians make decisions. I very rarely see a concern for what God wants or what the Holy Spirit wants or what he's saying in the decisions we make. It's all done up here. We decide what's best for us, even though we're believers and we've given our lives to Christ. The Holy Spirit is to be the one directing our path through life. The Holy Spirit is the one to, is to, to be directing our lives into God's will, into his plan, into his purposes, his assignments, his callings that he has chosen for us. He has prearranged for us. God seems to be, in my opinion, from what I've heard, you know, not in this, just in this church, outside, God seems to be placing quite an emphasis on this in these days. And there's a reason. And the reason is many believers do not live by the direction of the Holy Spirit, even though we are admonished, admonished to do so. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is so clear. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding, human reasoning, ability to figure it out. 
Sin has damaged that beyond our ability to figure out God's will. That's why we needed his Holy Spirit to come and direct us. We can't figure it out. Our brains, hey, God gave you a brain, use it. Yes and no. Our brains no longer can figure out God's will because of sin. Our brains still have a function. It's to carry out God's will when the Holy Spirit shows us what it is. Here's a challenge. Who's directing your path through life? My path. Whose direction are you following as you traverse through life? Whose direction am I following? The Holy Spirit is to be the one directing our path through life, not we ourselves. Not we ourselves. Now listen, what we usually do at this point in a message like this is shift into this mindset. But I'm not out in gross sin. So anything I decide, you know, is okay. I'm not out in gross sin. That is not true. I'm glad you're not out. I'm glad I'm not out in gross sin. But it goes so much deeper than that. It's every decision we make in life is to be made under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So although we're going to be talking about some very specific decisions today and how to find God's will in specific matters, I need to say here that God's path through life is not just in the major decisions that we make. His path for us through life is day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. Very few of us live that way. It's not just the major decisions, but the daily decisions in which we need the Holy Spirit's leading. God designed it that way. Romans 8, 14. The ones who are led by the Spirit, they are the sons and daughters of God. The ones who are being led through life by His Holy Spirit, Scripture says, they are the sons and daughters of God. Day by day, hour by hour, even moment by moment. God just reinforced this to me as I'm on the other side of it now, praise the Lord. It's awesome. But maybe four or six weeks ago, I knew I was facing a number of things, and they were trying to cause me great stress. There was going to be a series of things that I was going to come up against, not really related And it wanted to come on me, and it wanted to cause me to worry about it and think about it and lose my joy and all that stuff you're so familiar with. I was praying about it, and the word that God gave me was so clear. He said, take every day, each day, one day at a time, go hour by hour, moment by moment. You must walk through this. I'm not going to remove it every day day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, and trust me completely. And I've done that for the most part. And when I wasn't walking like that, stress. And when I was able to repent, I slipped off of that word you gave me, 
back into peace and joy and strength. And now, praise the Lord, I'm on the other side of that series of things, and he got me through. I did have to walk through it. I wish some of them would have went away, that I didn't have to walk through them. But he walked through them with me. You know all that stuff. Day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. This forces us. I mean, couldn't God just make it go away? Yes. But what did it force me to do? It forces us to be continually seeking him. That's more important to him than resolving your issues is that you're seeking him. So he makes it that he's not going to show you out here. He's going to show you right here, step by step, hour by hour, moment by moment. You've got to be seeking him. We have to be seeking him. What's next? What do I do now? Most of us don't live like that. Well, no amens there. We don't want to admit it. Most of us don't live like that. Most of us are walking through life, figuring life out from our own human understanding, and that's disastrous. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. And if you want any other incentive to to begin walking like that, it's the way Jesus lived life. It's the way he walked. He avoided all that stress and all that worry and all those things we allow ourselves to go through because he walked like that. He was led by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit, which is God's plan for us. And you might know this, you might not. Was Jesus God? Okay, was Jesus God? Man, we need to go back there. Elementary, my dear Watson. I and the Father are one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and the Word dwelt among us, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God. He's deity. So when we don't live the way we're supposed to live, according to Jesus' example, we simply write it off as, oh, he was God, and we're not, right? He was God. We're only human. Ah, wrong. You're not only human. If you know Christ, you now have two natures. You're divine, and you're human. Everything Jesus did, shock of shocks, everything Jesus did, he did as a man under the direction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, not because he was God. That's why he can say to you, now you do it, because you also have the Holy Spirit. If he did it because he was God and then told us to do it, that's a farce. I can't do it. I'm not God. So he took that that out. He took that obstacle out, and he did it under the leading and power of the Holy Spirit. And they said, now you do that. And that's the way we're supposed to be living, like Jesus lived. That's why he could say in John 14, 12, the things I've been doing, anyone who has faith in me, they'll be doing the same things. We're not really seeing that in the church today. And you know Jesus doesn't lie. The issue is not with him, and the issue is not with his word. Therefore, where does the issue lie? We need to know something here that we already know, but we need to know it again. When we came to Christ, in exchange for eternal life, we gave up the right to direct our own path through this life. Try and say that again. There was a lot of words in there. I wish I could say it more concisely. When we came to Christ, in exchange for eternal life, which he gave us, 
We gave up the right to direct our own path through this life. We gave it to him. He bought us with a price, very great sacrifice to himself and to the Godhead. Salvation is not free. You can't merit it. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. But when you accept it, it costs you everything because it costs you your life. In exchange for his eternal life, we gave him our lives. We gave him our rights. We gave up our rights to control our own lives. If you look around the church today, you don't see much of that. Christians are as apt to be claiming their own rights as any, any unbeliever in the world. We belong to him. We owe him this allegiance. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. This is Paul. because Paul understood this and the believers were only beginning to learn it. I plead with you. Give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. This is the first step in living in God's will. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Give your bodies to God. Give your lives to God. Present yourself to God. Surrender yourself. Surrender your life to Christ. Some of us have never taken this step. We've prayed a prayer, a sinner's prayer, but we've never taken this step. God is asking you, challenging you, if this is you, to make that commitment today. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I give you my life. I present, I, re- I surrender my life to you. You now are in charge of my life. If you have never done that, you need to do that. Many of us have already taken this step. And God may be asking us in these days to recommit to that step by simply saying, Lord, I want, to go, I want to go deeper in this commitment. I want now to go deeper in this presentation of my life to you. I want it to be a more full and complete presentation where you are more fully and completely now in charge of my life, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, situation by situation. I'm tired of controlling even the bit of my life that I still control. I'm tired of that. I want it to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. I want to know that leading. I want to know that power. I want to know John 14, 12 in my life. I want to see it. Speaking of seeing it, (laughs) I wasn't sure if I was going to share this. So driving out here today, I don't know. I was just in this mode. It's not that I really felt great, rah, rah, rah. But I just began to really praise the Lord at kind of a high level of just praising him and exalting him. And I was coming out Locust Grove Road, and I looked up in the air, and there was like a, uh, a front. You know, clouds, a, f- a front of clouds or a bank of clouds or something. And as I looked at them, I saw angel armies. The sky was filled with angel armies. This is what I actually said to myself. I, I don't know if I was in a trance or what, because I'm going to tell you the downside of this too. 
I was like, wow, I see stallions, and I see horses. I see chariots of fire. I see warrior angels, and they're all positioned, and they're all readied, and they're all waiting for the signal of the Lord to go and do his bidding. And then I kind of like shook myself out of it. I was right just on Locust Grove Road, and I was like looking again. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't see anything, really. With my naked eye, I don't see anything but a bank of clouds. But immediately after saying that, I went back into whatever it was, and I saw it all again. I don't know if it relates to in here this morning, because I can't say they were around our church, although I was coming in the direction of the church. I'm not sure exactly what they're there for, but they're waiting to be released by God to do his bidding. And if you read Hebrews, it says, angels are ministering spirits of the Lord to do his bidding on behalf of those who are inheriting salvation. That's us. So the angels are ready to move. I just wonder, this is a wandering move, my own, my own opinion or thought. Are those angels, God showed me that, so we know that those angels are positioned and ready, and they're waiting for the church in prayer to cause them to be released, to do God's bidding, waiting for the church to rise up and take on the role that he's given us. Yeah, I want it to be a more, for myself, a more full, more complete presentation of myself to him. Those areas where I still feel I need to control and when I slip into making my own decisions, I want that gone. I want that given to him. I don't want control of my own life. I saw what me controlling my life has done in the past. I see what me controlling my life does today. Just because we're sincere, professing believers, we still have free will. And we can still make a mess of it when we're not being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yep, it's that important. See, if you don't do this, you won't know God's will. All that I'm telling you now, what I'm going to tell you in a few minutes is academic. You won't know his will if you haven't made that presentation, if you're not making that recommitment, because the bottom line says when you do that, then, then you will learn to know God's will. It's the person who has committed their lives to him that God reveals his will. His will. Once you make this commitment, you make this presentation, you make this surrender, then we are in a position in which God can begin to teach us he can begin to reveal, us, reveal, reveal to us, and he can begin to lead us into his will for us. And the very last phrase of this verse says, his will for us is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect, which simply means it's as best as it can be. You can't figure out a better plan for your life. All right, that's the first section, teaching on God's will, living in God's will. I want to make some practical application so how can we know God's will? How do we find God's will in those decisions that we have to make in life? Does that interest you? Everybody awake? Pull out your bulletin inserts. Does anybody need a bulletin insert? 
If you don't have one, Justin, will you make sure that people have them? Here's Brandon, Dawn, Steve. Somehow they missed them. They're in the bulletins. This is called a how, uh, how to Know God's Will or Finding God's Will sheet or worksheet or something like that. It is an extremely useful tool. It is a spirit-led worksheet. And I can say that because I did not develop it. I didn't. My pastor gave it to me early on in my Christian life, and Deb and I have used this religiously, although we're not really religious. But Deb and I have used this religiously to find God's will in our lives. And the thing works because it's scriptural. It's especially helpful when we need to know God's will in a particular matter. But the principles actually apply to daily living as well. Continually applying these principles will keep us continually living in God's will. So here's how it works. How to use this worksheet. On the top it should say question or issue or situation, right? So you want to list a question there. You can actually do this and work through it. How many right now are, are trying to know God's will for a specific matter in your life? Anybody? Well, you want to write that on the top there, and it has to be in yes or no form. It can't be like how many. It has to be a question to which you can only answer yes, no, or uncertain. This isn't Ouija board, and it's not Magic 8-Ball. So you're not going to be asking, like, who am I to marry or where am I to live? It has to be a specific yes or no answer to the question. So take a moment, write down your question. If you don't have one, fine. Just listen and learn. The next seven verses contain principles from Scripture which lead us into God's will. Very important because uh, this is a common mistake. We think that the answer to our question is in the verse. Are you listening? Because this is very important. It's the most common mistake that's made. We think that the answer to our question is in the verse, that the verse is going to give us the answer. No, the verse is a principle that's going to lead us to the answer. Is that clear? Good. Isaiah got it. None of these verses are going to specifically say yes to a certain job or no to a certain person to marry, but they're going to give you a principle by which you will be able to conclude yes to a certain job or no to a certain person. Following them will lead you to the right decision. So let's work through it. The first principle from Scripture, and this will surprise a lot of people, is desire. And it's based on Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord. That's you. You present yourself to him. You want to live for him. You surrendered to him. So delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you your heart's desires. The first place to look for God's will is within your own heart. If you have given your life to him and if you delight in living for him, then he stirs his will in your heart. Those things that are desires and you've been thinking, man, is that me? 
If you're living for him, if you've given yourself to him, there's a good chance he's, he's stirring those desires in your heart to lead you to his will, into his will. Unfortunately, many believers think that God's will for them is something that they're going to hate, the last thing they want to do. Avoid it like the plague. And so then we're not even, we're trying not even really, because we know if we go to God, he's going to tell us to stop doing this or start doing that. That is not true at all. That's an attack of the enemy. God gives you the desire for his will in his heart. And it might be something that you really love to do. There's a good chance it will be. So the first question to ask on your question is, do I desire to do this? And then you put a check under, well, yes, I do. Or no, I really don't. Or I'm not certain at this time. You put your check mark there. At the end, we're going to have a visible graph of God's will. It's not that mystical. It's actually very practical. So put your check in the proper calm. Don't overthink it. That's another thing we do. Well, sometimes I, you know, and then other times, no. You're, you're trusting the Holy Spirit in this. And as you ask that question, do I desire to do this? Then you just put your check under, well, yes, no, or uncertain. Don't overthink it. Are you with me? Continue. The second principle from Scripture is impression of the Holy Spirit in prayer. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. As we pray about the issue, God directs us through impressions. He'll give us he will give us one or the other direction. We begin to sense his leading as we've prayed. As we begin to pray, it's more like this is really where it seems to go. I wonder if that's what was going on with Paul and those guys when the Holy Spirit was preventing them here and not allowing them there. And, you know, were they working through these principles and they, were, they desired or didn't desire, impression or not impression? Then the Holy Spirit finally gave them a dream to direct them. And God may very well give you a dream to direct you. That would be awesome. Third is the almighty word. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet. Your word is a light for my path. God gives us direction for our daily lives as we regularly read the word. Bad news alert. Everybody listening, look up. If you're not reading the word, you're going to struggle to know God's will for you. Actually, don't even expect it. If you're not reading the word regularly, it is doubtful you're going to be able to discern God's will for you. Because his word is a lamp to guide your feet, and his word is a light for our path. And the Holy Spirit primarily uses his word to direct his people. God makes his word applicable to our lives and to our situations. Just a real quick uh, exaggerated example, but it's a true example. Deb and I were going to buy a car real quick. We went to the guy. We said, we have this much money, not a penny more. He said, okay. So we had been praying about it, working through all this. And then he called and... He gave me the price of the car plus tax title and all that stuff. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, I have this much and not one penny more. Well, I can't let that car go for that much. I'm like, okay, then we can't buy it. So I was having my devotions, and I came across a scripture, and the scripture said this. 
because we had gone through a, whole, a long process to get to that point. Have I brought you this far to not deliver it into your hands? And I went up and I told Deb, I'm going back to work, but he's going to call back and he's going to sell it to us for the price that we, we told him. Absolutely. That afternoon. Direction from the word. And it may come from a sermon. It may come from your regular reading. It may come from a book. It may come from a poster. It may come from somebody giving you a prophetic word. Anywhere you come across scripture, God may use it to speak, speak direction into your lives. But primarily, it comes through our regular reading of the word. Next principle is the circumstances. Yes, they're important, but they're not all important. There's two of these that we basically make our decisions based on. When I say somebody, have, have you done a finding God's will in this decision? The first thing they always say to me is, I prayed about it. Do you know that we can actually be deceived in prayer? That's why praying about it is not, cannot stand on its own. Or the second thing they say, or another thing they say is, well, you know, the door, the door is wide open. You know, it was offered to me. Do you know that Satan can open doors and deceive us? You can't just depend on one of these principles. I'll explain that more fully at the end. But the next principle is circumstances. They do play a part. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. When he opens a door, no one can close it. And what he closes, no one can open. God opens and closes doors to direct us into his path. Again, perhaps that's what we saw in, in Acts 16. How was God actually directing them by his spirit? Through the impression, through opening and closed doors, or maybe through all of these. But he somehow kept them out of Asia and Bithynia and redirected them to Macedonia. <coughs> Excuse me where his plan was. King James Version has a verse that says, we are to walk circumspectly, which means we're to walk observing our circumstances because God directs our life through our circumstances. I want to give you another uh, example from our own lives, Deb and I, that's, that's like, like outlandish, but it's true. So we decided we were going to buy this expensive item, which we didn't have the money for, but we wanted it. Therefore, it must have been God's will, right? So I said to Deb, Kmart had it, and it was the Kmart in E-Town. And I said to Deb, okay, listen, I'm going to run up and buy it. You just pray that if we're not supposed to get it, God will close the door. So I got to E-Town. I pulled in the parking lot along with all the fire trucks <laughs> and the police. I couldn't get into the store if I wanted to because everybody was streaming out of it because Kmart was on fire. I said, that is a closed door. <laughs> so we went to Sears and bought it. <laughs> Isn't that what we do as believers? God closed one door, but we opened another and spent money we didn't have. Wait, I think that was it for circumstances. We were young Christians. We didn't know much at that time. Oh, here's one you're going to love. The next one is spousal counsel. If you're not married, it doesn't really apply to you. But if you're still under your parents' authority, you can substitute parental counsel in there. A man leaves his father and mother, and he's joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. 
to those who are married, when seeking God's will for your life, always seek the counsel of your spouse. Pray through it together. God designed it that married couples, a biological male and a biological female, would become one flesh, one unit. Therefore, any decision made profoundly impacts your spouse because you're one unit. So don't make decisions apart from your spouse when you're trying to find God's will. (laughs) There should have been many more amens in that, Ray. You were the only brave one. God uses each other to give direction to one another and to the family. Next principle, just general, counsel in general. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. I know you have a lot of confidence in your ability to decide and your ability to hear from the Lord. But hear this. Plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Steve Robinson gave me wise advice early on in the ministry. He said, Pastor, don't you know that whenever you just make executive decisions, that's when you get yourself in trouble? And he's right. You need to talk these things over with the board, with the other leaders, and get their opinion, and get their advice. There's another way that this is worded. I think it's King James. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. When you're seeking God's will for your life, talk it over with others. Seek others' counsel. What do they think about this? We'd make many less mistakes if we would do that. Especially others that you trust can hear from the Lord on your behalf. Now, you know, if it's a very specific issue, you could talk it over with people who have expertise in that matter, whether they're Christian or not, but you definitely want to be getting counsel from those you trust can hear from the Lord on your behalf. Your elder. In this church, we, we, every person should have an elder. If, if you don't, you need to see me, and there'll be an elder that will begin to care for you, and you, you can contact. Talk it over with your elder. God uses one another in the body to give direction to one another in the body. It's a function of the body of Christ, the family of God, the church. We weren't meant. Well, we may have been in Adam and Eve's garden, but after Genesis 3, we're no longer meant to make decisions on our own because we can't trust our own reasoning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean into your own reasoning. Last one, last principle, peace. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. The word rule is like a word we would use for umpire. Calls balls and strikes and safe and out. Makes the call, calls the shots. The peace of God. This peace is not a feel-good emotion because God will ask you things sometimes or in his will that don't necessarily make you feel good. It didn't feel good for Jesus to get crucified on the cross, but he knew it was God's will. So it's not necessarily a feel-good emotion. And it doesn't mean that once you make the decision, you won't have any fleshly apprehension about it. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to do this, but what? That still may be present, but here's what it is. It's a knowing. It's a knowing. As you work through these principles, seeking God's will, and you come to the end and you have this peace, it's a knowing 
It's a deep knowing. It's unshakable. It's an unmovable knowing. Like Jesus said, his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem, knowing that God's will was for him to suffer and die as a ransom for the sins of many. He knew it. Peter and the guys tried to talk him out of it. Peter got himself called Satan. Jesus knew it. We can know it. Have you ever been in that position where you knew God's will? Did you ever hear that expression, it's you know that you know you know? That's what this is. You know that you know you know. And like when we had to leave the post office, when I left the post office to go into the ministry, there were six months where I didn't know. And I worked through this. Deb and I worked through this. And finally, we had to make a decision. And we did, based on some the principles and some other things. And once we made the decision, we knew that we knew that we knew, and nobody was going to talk us out of it. All hell could break loose against us. It didn't matter. We knew we had God's will. It's that kind of a thing, and it is available. We don't have to be walking aimlessly, wandering. It's available to God's people. God gives peace. He gives a knowing, and that swings the decision one way or another. As you decide and you know, that's that. You know that you know that you know. It's hard to explain, but guess what? When you know it, you know it. (laughs) Wish I could prove it to you, but I can't. Wrap up. Conclusion. The way it works. The origin of this, this finding God's will sheet is very interesting. It was a town in New England with a harbor and a rocky coast and ships continually wrecking on the rocky coast. So they elected... Uh, they erected a lighthouse and ships continued to wreck and they were confused until they found out that in the fog and the mist and the ocean the light would get diffracted and they didn't have a straight path into the harbor so brilliant they erected a series of lighthouses going down through the center of the harbor lighthouses and the instruction to the captains of the ships were when all those lights line up you have a straight, safe sailing path into the harbor. That's what these are. None of these will stand on their own because we can be deceived. But when all these, or at least the majority of these principles, begin to line up, you have five yeses and maybe an uncertain, or you have five noes or six noes, you have a straight line now. You know that all these things are lining up to show you God is revealing his will to you. And sometimes the way it will work is there's yeses and there's uncertains, too many to actually make a decision at the moment. But you want to look at that graph because an obvious overlook is, wait, there's no no's. So what that says is God might not be saying yes at this moment because there's uncertain, but God has not said no to whatever question you have on the top. So you keep seeking him. You keep seeking him until these things come into line. Good with that? We have those available in the church. You can have as many of them as you want, those finding God's will sheet, to use as you walk through life. Last statement. For an exciting Christian life, for effective kingdom service and ministry, we must seek to live in the will of God, not according to our own thinking, And by no means, according to Satan's thinking, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil will totally take us out of God's will. We must seek to know the will of God. Let's pray together. Will you stand?
Band can come up. Jamie's my prayer. He'll come to the mic. Thank you for your kind attention to this matter. A very important matter, I might say. Just wait till everybody's settled and start praying. I just want to share something real quick. kind of ties into last week's message about the, how the Holy Spirit can guide us in our steps and our directions. Well, many years ago, I was coming to this church as a member, and uh, I can remember it, this memory came back to me. It was a Friday night, I remember. And... There is a uh, event going on at our church. We were meeting on Chickie's Hill at that time. And I believe it was a prayer event. And uh, I decided I wasn't going to go. I was going to do my own thing that night. It was Friday night. Hey, I deserved a break, right? So <laughs> I'm actually heading out in my car, you know, to go have some fun. And... I'm driving down the highway, and all of a sudden, I just felt this really strong impression coming over me that I needed to go to the church. And I'm fighting it. I'm like, nah, nothing's going on here. And you know, it was almost as if God took control of that car. And as I'm driving down 283 toward Lancaster, I got right on Route 30, headed to the church. And there was a handful of people down there praying. Uh, most of them were elders. And you know, that night I received a prophetic word that I was going to be an elder. Or something to that extent. But I take it as a prophetic word. And I was just like, no, nah, this, this is not going to happen. But I was aware of it. So as time went by, I kept becoming more aware of it. And uh, finally, you know, I was approached, do you want to become, or will you become an elder? Will you accept a nomination for elder? Well, I'm like, there's no way I'm, I'm not elder material. And so I began seeking God, and I did a finding God's will because somebody asked me to. And I didn't like the results of that because it said yes. It's almost everything. So it's kind of tying into this week. And then after that, I began seeking the counsel of many, which the, many of those counselors were the elders, and every one of them said the same thing. And I'm just like, ah, oh. I, I just fought it so much, but here I am anyhow. So, you know, if you don't fire, follow the desire of God's will, you can sure miss out on some very good things for your life, okay? So do the Finding God will sheets, seek counsel, and, you know, everything will be fine. So uh, there's a verse in the Bible. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It says Jesus wept. So this is probably going to be the shortest prayer uh, that you're going to hear out of me. So <laughs> would you join me in prayer? Father, I just want to ask that you would instill into each one of our hearts a great 
desire to know your will and instill in each one of our hearts the ambition to seek out that will and to follow that will in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.